Well, friends, good morning and welcome again to McLean Presbyterian and all who are worshipping in our sanctuary, in our fellowship hall and online as well. I am ready and excited for the start of the ministry year. You can tell because I got my hair cut, right? And uh, I even eventually shaved, so I'm your new aerodynamic pastor. I'm ready to go. Um, I also got a new Bible. This is my new Bible. Um, You need to touch it afterwards. It feels so good. This is my new weapon, so I'm ready. I'm ready for the beginning of the new ministry year and looking forward uh, to diving into God's Word together. As we do, though, let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we have the opportunity this morning to gather as your people around your word and understand more of your love for us. And my prayer is that in these moments, you would pour out your love into our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Understanding God's love for us. I may have shared before that my grandmother has dementia. It is a cruel and inexorable disease. You lose your mind by inches until it eventually takes you to your death. A wee while ago, she started to forget most short-term things. So she'd forget where she put her laundry. She'd forget things she'd just said. She'd forget people, perhaps, that she'd just met. But uh, more recently, she started to forget the bigger things, including my granddad, who's loved her for some 60 years. In the midst of it all, recently she called my mom, And uh, she sounded frightened, she sounded afraid. My mum could tell that there was something wrong. And my grandmother explained that there was a strange man in the house and that he wouldn't leave. Well, my mum had a suspicion as to what was taking place, but still she drove the hour to their house. And sure enough, there was a strange man, but it was just my granddad. And uh, true enough, he wouldn't leave. So in a sense, everything she said was, was, was true. But my mum sat with her and, and, and was patient with her and just tried to explain, hey, this man, this man is your, your husband. My grandmother wasn't convinced, but then she looked my granddad up and down and whispered to my mum, well, at least he's good looking. <laughs> Isn't that great? After all these years, he's still her type, right? (laughs) In the midst of all, some 60 years of love have disappeared from view. And I can't help but wondering this morning if God feels the same way when he looks at me and when he looks at you. In the midst of it all, don't we forget who he is? Don't we forget how much God loves us? There's a sense in which we all have spiritual dementia when it comes to the love of God. We all have a spiritual dementia when it comes to the love of God. And because of that, we start every single fall, every single ministry year in the same way, with a series on the love of God in Christ. And that's what we're going to do this year, understanding God's love for us, looking at the what, where, why, when, and how of God's love for me, of God's love for you, of God's love for this church community, and even for this world. And my task this morning is to try and set this series up, put the future weeks in context by sharing three things that we really need to know if we're to understand the love of God. So let's look at these three things briefly together. 
First thing we need to wrestle with, we need to get to grips with, we need to understand if we are to understand the love of God is simply to be honest and admit that, point one, we don't understand the love of God. We don't understand the love of God. I don't understand God's love for me. You don't understand God's love for you. We don't understand God's love for us. Now you might say, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. Um, The fact that God loves us, is that not really basic? Is that not sort of Christianity 101? It's kind of like the two plus two of the gospel. In fact, to be a Christian, you have to know that God loves you. So here you are, pastor, uh, standing up after six weeks out of the pulpit saying, we don't even know God loves us. Hey, are you saying like no one here is even a Christian? That is quite the start to the ministry year, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, yeah, we may have come to understand God's love, but there's so much more to know. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter whether this is your first day in church or if it's your a thousandth day in church. God's love is so much bigger than we know, and our understanding of it is always incomplete. It is always partial. It is always fragmentary at best. It's for this reason that Paul prays in Ephesians 3, this is the text that we began last year's series on the love of God with, these words. Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints so you and all of us would have the strength to know what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's saying, yes, you may know it and yet it surpasses knowledge. Yes, you may know God loves you but you need to understand that you don't really know how much God love you, loves you. His love for you is infinite and your understanding is finite. His love for you is limitless, and your understanding is limited. It is always higher and deeper and longer and broader than you or I know. The fact that we don't really get this, we don't really understand God's love for us, I think is often revealed in how we would tend to picture God, and how we would tend to see him in our minds. See, many of us, I think, struggle because we think of God, I guess, a little bit like the school principal. Think of your school principal, maybe your principal now or back when you were in school. And remember, like an authority figure who knew right from wrong, who had lots of lists and lots of rules, a person that you knew was there for your good, but you didn't want to be sent to his office. And you certainly didn't want to have lunch with him, right? Apologies to all our school principals, okay? I want to have lunch with you, right? Okay. Um, is that the right picture for the kind of relationship we should have with God? Someone we obey from a distance, but someone that we don't want to get all that close to? Perhaps some of us have graduated beyond the, the school principal model and we now think of God more as, a, as our father, And isn't that a good biblical thing to think? God does reveal himself to us as uh, our father. But even this is just one angle on his love. Even this is insufficient for us to fully understand how much he loves us. Just think about it. Um, What's your relationship like with your father? 
I've been very blessed in that I have a really good relationship with my dad. I have no doubt he loves me and he has no doubt I love him. And what does our relationship look like? Well, you know, I call him about once a month, right? Uh, More often, if something big happens or if I need advice. Now, I call my mother much more often, okay? That's a bit of advice for free, okay? Call your mom more than you call your dad, right? But, you know, I call call my mom more often. But for dad, I call him, you know, once a month or so and sometimes... In human terms, that's quite a healthy, you know, it's a normal, healthy relationship. But is that the kind of picture we should have for God? Uh, You know, a a being who who certainly loves us, who we feel affection for, but we don't really have intimacy with? See, many of us think of him like the principal. Some of us have graduated to think about the dad, but very few of us are able to live in this place where we can incorporate the father image and also think of God as an ardent spouse. A spouse. Another way in which he reveals himself to us. Hosea, Ephesians 5 being two examples. God reveals himself not just as a father who has care and concern and compassion for his children, but also as a man who is possessed with his bride. Did you even find that language a little awkward? That language of intimacy, that God would have that kind of passionate love for you, that we'd have a pursuing love for you, that he would desire intimacy with you to to know you and to know you well and for you to know him and to know him well. I mean, we need to wrestle with that. It's not a very Presbyterian picture, but we've got to wrestle with it because it's one of the ways in which God reveals himself and to do justice to it, we've got to wrestle with it. Imagine I didn't wrestle with that in my own marriage. And I was content. What, what would you think if I related to Rosie, my wife, like I relate to my dad or the school principal? So I fear her and I do not enter her office, <laughs> which is actually not bad advice, right? Um, <laughs> or like my father, you know, uh, you know, you ask me, how's, how's Rosie doing? I'm like, oh, she's great. I spoke to her three weeks ago, you know, um, yeah, do you know, like, the kids change grades, they're doing really well, I just wanted to make sure she was on the loop on those things, you know, everything is great, right? If, if that was my marriage, I hope you'd be outraged. And you know what? I would be outraged. I would be outraged. Why? Because I love this woman. Right now, she's training to become a firefighter in Fairfax County, which is a totally <clears throat> awesome thing. Um, and... I'm trying to be really supportive, but I'm also really grumpy about it. Why? Because every day for the last five months, she's got up at 4 a.m., right? And I'm, I'm, I'm not up at 4 a.m. I'm sure that shocks you. You probably think I've been up praying for an hour by then. That No, right? <laughs> I have been asleep, and I'm sleeping hard. So she's gone before I wake up. And then, like, right around 8, she goes to bed, and by 8.30, she's asleep. So we're kind of, like, passing, and, you know, and even this limited situation in which, of which I'm fully supportive is making me grumpy. In, you know, that... A principle, a father, that will not do for my relationship with my spouse. And how much more does God feel the same way? Does God feel the same way for those for whom he died? And so we want to wrestle with this fact. We want to come to grips with this fact that our understanding of the love of God has been very narrow. It's been very limited. We don't really understand it. That when we try to understand the love of God, we've been like children trying to read Shakespeare. We've got a taste of a crumb compared to the feast that is available to us. That his love is always deeper and higher and longer and broader than we have ever known. We want to acknowledge, yeah, 
There's more for us to know here. We don't yet understand the love of God. Second thing I want us to see as we put this series in context is, yeah, we don't understand the love of God. But secondly, point two, we must. <laughs> we must come to un- understand the love of God. I, it's so important for us to know this morning that all this love talk, all this talk about God's love, it isn't some wishy-washy, touchy-feely, sentimental mush. Rather, on the contrary, one of the most important things to the walk of faith, to the Christian life, is a certain confidence that God loves you. This isn't a cherry on top of the Christian experience. This isn't like a nice thing like a hug. This is central to the walk of faith, for you to know that God loves you. Now, because of this, because it's so central, we see that God's love makes an appearance in many of the Bible's benedictions. You know what a benediction is? We say it at the end of, of every service. It's not just a prayer, but instead it's a, it's a blessing. We're asking the Lord to bless the people as they leave. And this idea of, of growing in God's love appears in many of the, the Bible's blessings, the Bible's benedictions. Let me give you uh, three examples. In the book of Jude, we read, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Multiplied to you. He's saying, um, you have God's love, but may it be multiplied. May the thing that you know become richer, fuller, deeper in your life. Second, from Second Thessalonians 3, verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. What does, what does Paul want as he finishes this letter? What does he desire for the people to have? He says, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. See, he knows that our hearts are idol factories. They're always being directed toward something. Our hearts are always leaning toward success or pleasure or money or sex or fame or rest or something. And Paul says, may their hearts not be drawn toward those things. Instead, may their hearts be directed toward the love of God. Or third, the final one here, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 14. This is the benediction that we say every single week here at McLean Presbyterian. Service ends, I come down the front, what do I say? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Be with you all. So I'm saying, the love of God the Father, may that be with you as you go. Um, yes, you, you know God's love, but may it, may it go with you. May you dwell in it. May you be aware of it as you leave from here. Don't leave this place not knowing that God loves you, is what we say at the end of every single service. According to the Bible, an awareness of God's love is the greatest blessing that there is. We must come to understand it if we're to live this life of faith. Let me give you an example concrete example of how this plays out. It's the story of Nick Magnotti. Anyone see a story about him this week? 27-year-old husband and father who was recently diagnosed with cancer uh, stage four. When his baby girl, a wee girl called Austin, was just seven months old, the treatments that he'd been going through, surgeries, chemotherapy and the like, it stopped working and they decided not to pursue any more treatments. And in this video, you see Nick playing with his baby girl who looks up to him and smiles and she's got this big pink ribbon around a perfectly bald head. 
a onesie, a, a, a cuddly toy clipped to her onesie. You see him putting her in her car seat as she looks up at him and smiles, not just with her lips, but with her eyebrows as well. You see him spooning the next bite into an already open mouth. And as he does these things, he talks about trying to make the most of every day and tells of how he's writing birthday cards that he won't be there to give. And then in the middle of the video, his wife, Elisa, stops and asks him, what one word would you use to describe how you feel right now? What one word would you use to describe how you're feeling? Now, as you watch this video, it's, it's moving, it's, it's emotional, it's sad. He stops, he pauses, he looks down, he looks back up at his wife, and the word he chooses is blessed. Blessed? You're kind of like, Nick, I don't think you understand what's happening here. You have cancer, stage four, can't be treated, you're about to die. You're about to leave your wife without a husband. You're about to leave your baby without a father. Tell me in what world does this equal blessed? And then he continues. I wish everyone could come to know God as I have through this. I wish everyone could feel the love of God like I do right now. I wish everyone could feel the love of God like I do now. And that's what the love of God does. It enables us to live well. And when the time comes, it even enables us to die well. A superficial understanding of the gospel will not give you what it takes. A superficial understanding of the gospel, that'll just make you a nice person who can help old ladies and pay your HOA on time and generally live a respectable life. And yet, find yourself spiritually flat, spiritually listless, spiritually bored, and find that you're completely unequipped when life actually hits. A superficial understanding of the gospel, pious platitudes, religious jargon, they will not sustain you when you lose a job, when you lose your spouse, when you lose a child. Religious rhetoric won't get you through when a time comes that you find yourself lonely or angry or afraid. Pious platitudes will not see you through cancer or dementia or death. If we're to make the most of this life, if we're to make it, if we're to survive, religion won't cut it. You need an understanding of God's love that's not generic, but that's real for you. That's real for you. We must understand God's love for us if we're to live this life of faith, if we're to live well, if we're to die well. Three months after making the video, Nick Magnotti was dead. But I want to live a life like his. And I want to die a death like his. Don't you want to live and die well? For to do that, we must understand the love of God in Christ. Point two. Point three. We don't understand God's love for us. We must understand God's love for us. Point three. We can understand God's love for us. We can understand God's love for us. And this takes us to Romans 5, verse 5, where we read, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's reflect on these words for a moment. Be very clear. It is important to God that you know that he loves you. It is important to God that you know that he loves you. And we can understand that, right? Because don't you want your loved ones to know that you love them? How would I feel if Rosie, my wife, just didn't know that I loved her? I'm not just content to love her. I want her to know that I love her. Well, in the same way, God isn't content just to love us. He wants us to know that he loves us. And so he has acted. He has moved. He has pursued to Romans 5 verse 5 pour out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He is on the move by the power of his Spirit to make you sure that he loves you. How does this work? Perhaps we can think about it this way. We're familiar with the idea of Christ as our advocate. The image is that we are brought into the courtroom. We're placed into the stand. God is our judge. And then a long list of accusations is read out against us. Every sin we have ever committed, all the things we should have done but didn't, every guilt and shame and embarrassment of our entire lives, not just the ones that people saw, but the secret ones that we hid. Not just the ones that were out there for everyone else to view, but an entire record of our life is played before the court. And as these things are read out, we're afraid because we know that we're guilty. But then in comes Christ. Takes us by the hand, removes us from the stand, and substitutes himself in our place. And so the list of accusations is read again with Christ in the stand. And to each one he says, guilty, guilty, guilty. And then the judge hands out upon him the punishment that we ourselves deserve. And so Christ is representing us before God. He is our advocate. He is the one who has substituted for us. And on the cross, he takes the punishment that we deserve. It's a a beautiful way to think about the gospel. And we affirm it absolutely But Romans 5.5 says it's not quite enough. Because after taking the punishment that, that we deserve, Jesus comes and he takes us by the hand and he walks us down a long corridor into another courtroom where he places us back in the stand. And we think, I thought I'd just been forgiven of all of this. I thought, you know, like, I, I thought I'd got away with it, right? I thought I was... I thought I was safe. And in comes another to accuse us. Except this time, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. The one who has been sent to testify that we are sons of God, Romans 8. To testify not about our sins, but to accuse us and indict us of the fact that you and I are children of God. That you are loved by God. You stand guilty this morning in Jesus Christ of being loved by God. And the Spirit will not cease his accusations until you admit that it is true. Until you accept that it is true. Okay, guilty. Guilty. Lord, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me because look at the long list of accusations we read out in the other courtroom. And yet here I am, 
loved by you. It's the Spirit's work, not to represent us to the Father, but to represent the Father to us. Grace being made known in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Let me close with four quick applications. Four things we need to notice about this verse. First of all, note with me that the love of God, God's love is poured out where? Into our hearts. God's love is poured out into our hearts. There are other verses we could look at, but this isn't one of them. It doesn't say God's love is poured out into your mind. It says God's love is poured out into your heart. I fear sometimes that the church has begun to forget the miraculous nature of our faith. The supernatural, miraculous nature of our faith, whereby we kind of reduce Christianity to logic and syllogisms. So, God loves the world. I'm part of the world. Therefore, God loves me. Now let's go and eat lunch. Right? That is not an experience of the love of God. That is not what it's like to have his love poured out into your heart. This is a subjective experience that makes our heart burn within us, that enables us to persevere and be sustained through cancer or dementia or death. The experience of the love of God is not the conclusion to an argument. It's having his love poured out into our hearts in such a way that you cannot explain it and you could never deny it. Have you tasted this kind of love from God? The second thing to note from verse 5, it's poured out into our hearts. But secondly, note that God's love is poured out through what? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. In other words, our ability to understand God's love isn't dependent upon our work, but the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't make it happen. The Holy Spirit makes it happen. It is not a natural thing. It is a supernatural thing. God's love is not poured out into your heart by being a good person, by going to church, even by reading the Bible. God's love is poured out into your heart through the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we control. It's a supernatural work. And so it's not a thing we strive to work up. It's a thing we ask him to do. Three, and God's love is poured out to all believers. You see it there? God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The our and the us. Who, who, who does that refer to in this text? The answer is it refers to the normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christians to whom this letter is written. This experience of having God's love poured out into your heart isn't the reserve of some like different category of particularly holy Christians. Nor is it some kind of second blessing of the Spirit that he chooses to give to some but not all. This experience should be common to all believers. Now, of course we know that our awareness of the love of God can ebb and it can flow. Sometimes we're more aware, sometimes we're less aware. I'm not saying every Christian should live in a constant, powerful awareness of God's love, as beautiful as that would be. But we are saying that this experience is the privilege of all those who name the name of Christ. It's not just for the elite, it's for me 
it's for you. Fourth, final reflection on this verse. Note that the Holy Spirit pours out God's love by pointing us to Christ. This is the connection between verse 5 and verses 6 through 8. The Holy Spirit pours out God's love by pointing us to Christ. So yes, he pours God's love into our hearts. It's a subjective experience. The Holy Spirit comes and he does it. And we can't explain it, nor can we deny it. It's a subjective experience, but this subjective experience is based on objective facts. Objective facts. Look at verse 8. Isn't it very interesting? God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's strange about that verse? Aren't the tenses strange? God shows, present tense, in this moment, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died, past tense, for us. Shouldn't it say God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? Don't we expect that that's what it means, that the cross looking back to something is this past event that reminds us of how much God loves us? Well, that's not what the text says. The text says God shows, present tense, his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died. In other words, the showing, the subjective experience of the moment is based on history, the objective facts of the past. Here's how it worked. The Holy Spirit comes to our hearts and to our minds and reminds us of the truth about Jesus. He reminds us of the truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and give you some kind of feel-good, transcendental, mind-emptying buzz and say, that's the love of God. That's drugs, right? And that's not half as good as what the Spirit does. The Spirit comes and he brings to our minds the facts, the history of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And then he does this powerful work in our hearts, this illumining work where we are suddenly able to see that these things are true for me, that these things are true for you. These aren't just dead relics from the past, but these are things that matter in my life and a thing that is now at work in my life. And now the love of God is not just some story, but it's something that's impacting me in this moment. By it, I am almost undone. It's an experience of the love of God based on objective facts. And that's what the love of God it is, is. It's subjective and it's objective. It is feelings and it is facts. It is spirit and it is truth or it's not the gospel. Or it's not the gospel. God does this work by his spirit to make you know that God loves you. I've tasted of this love And I want it more than anything. And I want it more than anything for you. More than anything. I want you to have an experience of the love of God based on the objective history of Christ. Because I take seriously, and I I really take seriously, it weighs on me, um, the responsibility I have as pastor. Not many should be presumed to be teachers, right? When I think of those verses, I just, I just want to sit down. The reality is, I will stand before God and be accountable for what I said to this congregation. Here's my hope. Here's my hope. On that day, I'm going to say, God, 
Point one, I'm sorry. (laughs) Praise the Lord for the gospel, (laughs) all right? And then point two, here's what I'm aiming for. I'm going to say, Lord, I taught them nothing apart from the fact that you love them. They know that you love them. And Jesus would be like, you were there for 30 years, that's all you saw? I'll be like, yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got. And I think he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. With you, I'm well pleased. Because at the end of the day, in your life and in your death, what you need isn't the finer points of theology. What you need isn't the finer points of doctrine. If the day comes when I come into that hospital room and you are dying, I am not going to whisper into your ear something about baptism, okay? I'm going to come and I'm going to say, you are loved by God in Christ. And I want you to say, I know. I want this experience for myself. I want this experience for you. And I want this experience for those who know nothing of the love of God. This is why we're doing multi-site. This is why we have people worshiping in here. We have people worshiping down in our fellowship hall. This is why we're creating space, creating seats that we might go out to our friends, to our neighbors, to our colleagues, to our loved ones, and bring them in, that they too might hear the love of God in Christ for them. Understanding the love of God, we don't, we must, we can. In the midst of all, my grandmother has forgotten the love of our husband. Do you know what? My grandfather has not forgotten his love for her. And he is showing me what it means to love through sickness and in health. You know, in the midst of it all, we might forget God's love for us. But he doesn't forget his love for his bride. He doesn't forget his love for his bride. And he's seeking to pour it out even now into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Over the next few weeks, we'll dig a little deeper into these themes. This might not be theory, but lived experience for us all. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would pour out your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Do this in my life. Do this in our lives. And do this in the life of our church. And do this, Lord, for those who are yet far from you. That our family might grow. And that we might celebrate together how loved we are in Christ. Lord, we have spiritual dementia. And so we thank you that you're the one who never forgets. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.